Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord. Today in Pastor's absence, I am going to, upon his request, I'm going to continue the series that he has begun on foundations. So today this will be foundations number three. And we're going to title it Atonement, Atonement. The book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Everybody say, without the blood, there's no hope. Father, I love you. I'm thankful today for the privilege that you've given us to come into this holy house I ask that you anoint our minds, anoint our hearts, speak into our life, help us to receive something from the truth of the Word of God today. Lord, I ask that you anoint these lips of clay today. God, I'm just a vessel, and without you I am nothing, and I need your presence today. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell them how good God has been to you this week. Praise the Lord. Good to hear joy in the house. It'd be bad to come to church in a, in a, in a bad mood, wouldn't it? There is a scarlet thread that weaves its way from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. Every drop of blood that was ever shed, beginning in the very beginning, every drop of blood marching through time, marching through this Bible that we read, every precious drop that was shed for atonement had a specific purpose and had a specific plan. It was pointing. It was heading in the direction of Calvary. Some had prophesied, some have seen visions knowing what was to come, but there are others that had no idea how important those sacrifices were on them altars, Brother Rayleigh. They had no idea what it was leading to, but it was leading to Calvary. In the Old Testament, a crimson stream of blood stained the banks of mankind's history, and it did so all the way until Calvary. And from Calvary, until the book of Revelations, we see the blood of Jesus, and we see that the blood is the only source of forgiveness. It all began in Eden when Adam and Eve stood there that day at that tree that they were forbidden to take that fruit from. Uh, they stood there and pondered on the thought I have to imagine in my mind, and as Eve made that proposal to Adam, that God had said, do not touch this. Do not eat this, but she proposed 
this to Adam and he could not refuse. I wonder today if they had any idea of the significance of that decision. Did they know that what they were doing at that point in time would forever place its mark or its track in history and it would forever be abundant upon man to sin? Therefore, when this happened, God immediately, he immediately began to teach from how such things were to be handled. The Lord used examples of slaying of the animals for them. Adam and Eve and their sons, Cain and Abel, learned to bring sacrificial offerings to the Lord. The Bible reveals that both Cain and Abel brought sacrifices to God. However, only Abel followed the pattern that God had planned. Abel brought from his flock. And the Lord himself had established this plan inside the gates of Eden. And God accepted Abel's blood sacrifice from this flock. But the bloodless offering of Cain was a currency that was not quite adequate to God. It it wasn't sufficient for heaven, this that Cain had brought. And that's why in our day and age, I petition to you this morning that it really matters It really matters what we bring to the Lord today. I know we didn't come here today with a fatted calf or with a spotless lamb. And many of us this week have faced jobs, we've faced problems, we've faced scenarios that has made an impact on our life. It has weighed us down. Some may be even coming here today with a heavy heart. But I wonder today on this day, I ponder this question in my mind and I propose this to you to think about this the remainder of the service. This day that we've set aside for the Lord that is His day that we're going to give to Him, what did we bring to the house? What kind of sacrifice? Did I bring a good heart, Brother Gibson? Did I bring holy hands or am I stained or tamed from the results of this week? What have I brought to the Lord today that is a sufficient sacrifice? It really, really matters what we bring in the house. The first efforts of Adam and Eve reveal the flaw of human reasoning. Their aprons of fig leaves they made involved no sacrifice or shedding of blood. We all know when you pluck a leaf from a tree that it's not going to last long, but it's going to wither away. So this was just temporary, Brother Rayleigh. It wasn't, it wasn't going to last. And at best, the coats of Eden covered only the physical nakedness of Adam and Eve. Their sin was still exposed by an all-seeing God. Though their coverings were much more durable than the fig leaf apron, still they were but temporary measures. The animal skins demonstrated the temporary nature of the solution for sin, just as did the sacrifices of the priest and the Levitical law. It was only for a season, only for a year was we allowed to go in, and only one man could go in and make atonement for the sins of the children of Israel. In the various sacrificings and offerings of the Old Testament, God gave symbolic renderings of what he would accomplish in the days of his flesh. In the different animals, one can view some spiritual characteristics of God and what he would accomplish on Calvary. We're well aware this morning of Exodus 12 and 3. God said, Speak ye, he's talking to Moses, he said, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month shall they take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers. A lamb for a house. This was referred to as the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was to be chosen and kept separate before it was slain. This gave time for it to be thoroughly examined to make sure 
to make sure that this sacrifice that they was going to bring to the Lord was without spot or without blemish. In like manner, Jesus walked among men, leading the way, paving the way for a length of time. And this gave man the opportunity to examine all of his flaws and all of his blemishes of which they could find none. Even when they presented him before Pilate, Brother Gibson, he said, I find no fault in this man. This is a flawless lamb. This is a spotless lamb. This is a lamb that was adequate enough for sacrifice. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, if we really believe the Word of God this morning, and we take this Scripture for what it says, in all points tempted. I had a conversation some time back with some men at our prison ministry, and there was a little group on this side and a little group on that side, and there was a debate about this verse. And the debate was that in Jesus' day, he didn't really have to deal with the same things that we're dealing with today. So, So how could... How could he understand what it's like for a man to be tempted? How could he understand what it's like to have to turn down something that's offered to you? And my rebuttal was this, Brother Gibson, how simple it may be. Do not we see Jesus being being mocked or being challenged by the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Did, Did not they try to provoke him to anger? And how did he respond? With love, with parables, could it be? John said everything that was written could not be contained. And I'm not trying to start a new doctrine this morning, but we have no idea what the people of that day may have tried. Who knows what they may have purchased? Who knows who they may have hired to put in the way of Jesus as a stumbling block? So if... If we take the Word of God for what it says, if in all points He was tempted, can I tell you this morning, I don't care what you've been through, what you're going through, what you're going to see, He understands, He knows He's been there. His blood is sufficient. His blood is sufficient. It it was not enough that a lamb be chosen and inspected. I want you to keep in mind this morning that this lamb was... This lamb at a, at a young, early age was picked out, separated from the rest of the flock. This lamb stayed with the family. They took special care of him. They took a lot of pride in him. It was almost as if this lamb become part of the family. Only for that one day to come, Brother Riley, where this creature, without spot and without blemish, would have to shed its blood for the atonement of the sins of this family. It had to die and its blood be applied for the desired end to be attained. In the day of Moses, specific directions were given about how the lamb was to be slain so that its blood could secure the desired effect. The list of these requirements for the offering of the original Passover lamb was specific and detailed. And I know everybody's familiar with this, but I'm building something here, so stay with me. This lamb had to be sacrificed at a specific time in a precise way so that it could be cooked and eaten in the particular fashion that God had planned. Throughout the Old Testament, there were prophetic descriptions of the sacrifice of the lamb. When these criteria were met, the sacrifice was acceptable before God. From both Psalms 22 and Isaiah 53, 
you can read a detailed, horrific description of the events that would take place that day on the cross, the crucifixion. Among the requirements for the slaying of the lamb were many stipulations. One was, was he had to have his hands and feet pierced. David said that in Psalms 22 and 16. He said his hands and his feet would be pierced. That was fulfilled in John 20 and 35 when Thomas asked to see them. His side would be pierced. Zechariah declared that in 12 and 10. Again, in John 19 and 34, the soldier pierced the side of Jesus. Prophecy fulfilled. No bones should be broken. The Lord declared this in Exodus 12 and 46. David declared it again in Psalm 34 and 20. And in John 19 and 33, we find the soldiers approaching the cross. And it was custom to break the legs of the men who hung on the cross. But they found Jesus dead. So again, prophecy fulfilled. They did not break his legs. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy ever proclaimed or protested about him and many more. Exodus 12 and 13, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. When the blood of the Passover lamb was applied to the doorpost and the lentils, we're all familiar with this, those that remained in that house were under the protection of the blood. They were guarded by the blood. God's blood protected them. Nothing but this blood was an effective shield. I'm sure there was others that tried to kill something else, Brother Gibson, to sling around the door. But nothing protected but the blood of the lamb. In no other manner of application was the blood affected as a shield against the death angel. The blood of Jesus Christ has become a covering of a protection for all those who are obedient to his commands. You want protection over your family? Plead the blood. Apply the blood. Sir, sir, do you want that son of yours to grow up to be a man that respects his wife and treats his wife with respect and provides for his family, is faithful to God and faithful to his house? Apply the blood plead the blood. Ma'am, would you like for that daughter of yours to grow up and to remain holy and unpure and untouched so that one day when she enters a holy matrimony, she can look back at her past with no regrets because the blood, the blood has been applied to her life. What makes us, what makes us so different? It's not the suits you see this morning or the dresses. It's not the pretty hairdos. It's not this piano or this band. It's the blood. In the end, in the end, ladies and gentlemen, there will be many that fall aside because they don't have the name and they don't have the blood. The name and the blood separate us. The Lord, He used multiple means of communications to convey His will and plan. Besides his instructions, he's given us symbolic pictures in the sacrifices and offerings of the Old Testament. He painted a picture of his purpose and power when he came in the flesh. He, he showed what he could do when he come to, to dwell among us. His incarnation provided the blood needed to protect vengeance and to provide an atonement for the covering of sins. 1 Peter 1 and 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold 
from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot or blemish. It's the blood. It's, this is a precious, precious blood. There, there's a price to be paid. There's a price that was paid for the debt of sin. If, if you're here today, if you're here today and there's sin in your life, if you hear nothing I say, hear this. The enemy will shame you into thinking that all hope is lost, that you've gone too far, you're in too deep. But can I tell you today, there's something called the blood that if you will just come to this altar and leave it here, that Jesus can wash away. He can He cannot just cover. He don't just cover, Brother Riley, but he, he eradicates, he removes it. The animal blood shed in the Old Testament times must have served as something kind of like a, a promise note. Hebrews 10 and 4 tells us it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Not all blood was accepted as a payment. Only clean animals, only clean animals could be sacrificed. And they, they, were, they were chosen, they, they were specific, they were unblemished. Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ was enough and has enough value to pay the price of sin. But Donnie, when I, when I think about where I was, when I think about turning my back on God and watching my life spiral out of control, I can't help today, Brother Junior, but to think. We used to sing an old song when I was a boy that said when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And when I think that day, because Jeremiah said he knew me before he formed me. The Word says he knows every intent, every thought. So when I think about him tied to that post and being beaten to a bloody mess, when I think about the crown of thorns that was placed upon his head and how they spit on him and plucked his beard and how they mocked him, how they marched him to Golgotha, nailed his hands to a tree. How they nailed his feet to that tree. And in pain and agony and despair that you and I will never understand, while he was going through all of that, my, my Bible says that he's seen Jerry. He, he's seen me in my worst. He's seen me as deep as I could go, but yet he loved me enough. He loved me enough to say, I'll do this anyway. I'll shed this blood anyway. If you're in this house today and you've been washed by the blood, there should be no reason why you're not clapping your hands and thanking the Lord God right now for everything that he's done for us. All, all other human blood is contaminated and it's, it's devalued by sin. But we've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not, not high and mighty. We can't ride a high horse. Paul warned the Corinthian church of that in 1 Corinthians 6 and 11. He says, In such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. 
preceding that verse, Paul gives a list of things that people was that God brought out. And sometimes I'm troubled when I hear individuals say, and please take this in the spirit that I say this in, sometimes I'm troubled when I hear individuals say, well, since my birth or youth, I've been in the church and I've never been outside the church and never done anything wrong. And that's good and that's something very Be proud of that. Be thankful that you didn't have to experience the things of this world. But I believe Paul was saying more in that verse than just were such as some of you. Paul was saying, because you had the blood, you never had to go experience that. Because you've you've been a part of the church for so long, you've never had to experience without the blood, where would you be today? Without the blood, where would we be today? However short of time or long of time, we have no clear description of how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. I don't know if it was a week or a month or a year or a couple years, but however long it took for Eve to to make that decision, for Adam to follow in her footsteps, that one event, that one mistake has left its mark It's left its mark on the entire human race, and we're dealing with that today. And this is where the justifying power of the blood of the Lamb comes into play. To be justified is to be rendered just, or we wouldn't understand it as being innocent. The blood of Christ washes away the record of our sins. Word of God says he's the accuser of the brethren. So as as sinners... For me personally, all I could see is all this stacked up against me. You could roll the list out the back of the door of everything that I've done wrong. Everything that I've done wrong, it, it, was, it was stacked against me. But see, the enemy will blind us from the power of the blood. And when the blood is applied, I, I like to refer it to in my life as, and this is simple, but I like to refer to it as a do-over. I get to I get to do this over because I made such a mess on my own. Now that I have Christ and I have the blood, I get to do it over and live for God the way we were intended to. Hebrews 9 and 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal Redemption for us. According to Strong's Concordance, the word redeem is translated from the Greek meaning, which means properly to go to market or to purchase, or specially, this is what I like, specially to redeem. Through centuries, good people have tried every way you can imagine from different religions, soothsayers, Uh, fortune tellers, people have tried all measures with intellect, riches, and talent to eradicate sin out of their life. And all that would happen when they try to do this is that bondage, that those chains grow tighter and tighter and tighter. Their failed attempts made the ultimate gold even seem more hopeless to And can I tell you today, the only thing that can wash away my sins is the blood of Jesus. There is no solution. There is no solution for sin but the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. 
Hebrews 10 and 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That which is sanctified is set apart. It's, it's called for a special purpose. It doesn't mean that it's better than somebody or something else. It means only that we have been chosen for a specific use. Through his blood sacrifice, Jesus has chosen to set this church aside for a special purpose. Those whom he has chosen may not be the highest rank in nobility, may not be the richest, may not be all they're cracked up to be. I may be a college dropout. I may not be the smartest cookie in the box, but he chose me. He chose me. He chose you, Brother Donnie. He chose us. We're the chosen ones. The fact does not give us the right to look down on, on others. That, that's not what it's about. It's not. He, he didn't choose me to, because I was of superior quality. He chose me to prove his superior mercy. It's the mercy of God that we're all even in this house today. Sometimes I think we take for granted how good he really is. John 6 and 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. In order for the Israelites to have strength for the journey ahead, the, the Lord had commanded them how to sacrifice this spotless lamb. He, he had given them instruction of how to prepare this and to eat it for nourishment for this journey that they would be on. And Just as the people of Israel partook of the lamb literally, we've got to partake of the lamb symbolically and spiritually. We've been given some instruction. That's why I think there's a huge misunderstanding sometimes when people feel like once we've been filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in His name, we can kick it up because we're going home. I, I, I believe there's Bible to disprove that, Brother Rayleigh. I believe that's just the beginning. That's just like, that's, that's why it's called the new birth experience. Because now we've got something to do as we make our life his ways and not our ways. And we, we find strength and power growing within us that is Him. The life of God within us through His Spirit is described as taking part of His flesh and blood. That's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He wasn't being arrogant in that statement. He was just recognizing that Jesus Christ was God robed himself in flesh, came upon this earth, walked on it, blazed the trail, and now we know how to do it. And Paul was saying, come on, I see the way, I know the way, follow me. There seems to be no part of our Christian experience that is not founded upon and dependent on the blood of the Lamb. I don't believe you can be full of the Holy Ghost without the blood on your life. I don't, I don't believe you can be baptized without the blood on your life. The blood is a part of this. The Passover delivered Israel from Egypt. The flesh and blood of the continuing sacrifices in the wilderness helped sustain them both physically and spiritually. It was not enough just to have initial experience of deliverance. And I'll go back to what I said just a few minutes ago. It's not enough to just be saved. That's why he said we called out. We're set apart. 
there's something to do in the kingdom of God. They continued existence and progress were dependent. Their, their, their progress was dependent upon that sacrificial lamb. It, 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 it marked their way in history. So today our deliverance comes by obedience to the gospel. The death, which is the repentance, the burial, which is the baptism, and the resurrection, which is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. As we journey on toward heaven, when we have made through the new birth process, as we journey on toward heaven, we still got to have the blood. We still need the blood. We've got to partake of the cleansing strength also made available through the cross. His flesh and blood become accessible to us through many different venues. We know that is prayer. How do I gain access to the blood? Pray. Get in this word. Be obedient. Be submissive to the preached word of God. That's how you gain access to the blood. We have a responsibility as born-again Christians to follow every one of these. The scarlet thread of blood that weaves its way from Genesis to Revelations points the way to Calvary's Lamb. Musicians, I found the runway. My wife will tell me later that I circled the airport too long. But Jesus, Jesus paid the debt. He, he made the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He, he paid for the past, the present, and the future. And it provides strength and protection for the journey to heaven. Every sacrifice performed in the Old Testament in one way or another exemplified the work of deliverance, cleansing, and keeping that that would be accomplished on Calvary. The first sacrifice in Eden exemplified the atoning power derived from the shed blood. Abram's, Abel's offering showed the acceptability of obedience. Noah and Abraham confirmed the contractual power of the blood covenants. The Passover and the Levitical sacrifices prophetically declared the delivering and the keeping power of the blood that Jesus Christ would shed. Throughout the Word of God, we are treated continually, continually to the unfolding demonstration of His ultimate plan. Everything from Genesis 1 pointed to Calvary. It was a plan for the deliverance and the restoration of humanity. Even gold and silver are insufficient to purchase our salvation. The, the price for that is so high that it could be bought only, it can only be bought by the blood of the Lamb. You know, I remember as a child in the late 70s and early 80s, this this was this apostolic way was very unpopular. It wasn't cool to move around a whole lot. But isn't it ironic how time has changed and everybody's following after us? It's all right to cut loose in church now. You hear talk, tongue talking on Facebook. You're everybody, this is the way. But there's a separation line, Brother Gibson. And it's, it's the blood. The blood separates 
And I, let me just say what's on my heart. What I've been feeling in prayer, and and I tell you, I've got to believe that there's some others in here that will come to me after this service and say, I have felt that too. I think this apostolic movement better be very careful because we're coming to a place where we take the blood for granted. Blood's not as important as it used to be. And understand me today, I'm not here to cross swords or offend anybody. But I, I remember... Brother Rayleigh, you may have to correct me if I'm wrong, but you taught, I believe it was you that taught a lesson. I don't know if we was in, in the back or it was here, but about the high priest that would go in. And did they tie a rope to their ankle? They tie a rope to their ankle. Because if the high priest wasn't just right, if his heart wasn't right, and God chose to strike him dead, how was they going to get him out? And they pull him out. And sometimes I think that we come into this house and the Spirit of God moves. And He's calling and He's beckoning and it's, the blood is pleading, pleading for us. But we feel good where we're at. We can, we can feel the flame from afar off. You know, go, go to Exodus 3, T. Exodus 3, verse 1. Get a mic. If you have your Bibles, go to Exodus. Can I have five more minutes? Can you five more minutes? Exodus 3, verse 1. All through the Bible, there are angelic encounters. 22 to be exact. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that number. Angel come to Gideon. Angel come to Abraham and Sarah. Angel come to Joseph and Mary. Angel encounters. But there is one encounter in the Bible of an angel that is a little bit, for me, set apart. It's kind of special, if you will. And I have read this many times, but it wasn't until, my mind's a little simple, so forgive me. It wasn't until a few months ago that this just kind of, something stood out to me in this. Brother Junior, would you read verse 1? Okay, hold up. Normal man, working on his job, tending to his flock, comes to the mountain. Go ahead. Okay, hold up, hold up. Does everybody's Bible say an angel of the Lord? Now, Brother Rayleigh, I interpret that. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's an angel. That's not the Lord. God has sent his presence. He's not there yet. But God sent his presence. Go on, Tim. Hold up, hold up, hold up. There's a fire. Moses feels the heat. And he looks. That's what the Bible says. He looks and the bush was burning. The presence of the Lord is here. Moses feels the heat. Go on. 
Hold up. Moses has come into the mountain. The bush is on fire. He feels the heat, Brother Fears. He, he feels the presence of the Lord. He feels it. He knows it's there. It's got the hair on the back of his neck stood up. He's got goosebumps. I mean, this thing's getting right. And he feels it. But Moses makes a conscious decision that I think we better pay close attention to because we come into this house sometimes, and I, I'm going to speak plain, okay? I'm, I'm not talking about the apostolic movement. I'm not talking about the family campground. I'm not talking about district conference. I'm talking about us. Hatch Bend Apostolic Church, we come in here sometimes, and the Lord is wanting to demonstrate something miraculous and we feel the heat and we feel the Holy Ghost and we feel the power and it feels good from a distance and we're comfortable from that distance. But we got to be like Moses and sometimes we've got to turn toward the fire. Read on, Tim. Oh, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Now, now he's turned. He made a decision that I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to plug in to what's going on. And when he made that decision, it got God's attention. Go ahead, Tim. Okay, he's turned aside, God sees it, and now, where's the angel of the Lord? We don't hear nothing about the angel of the Lord. But God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. Jerry, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying if we don't plug in to what God is trying to do when we feel the heat, when we feel the flame, I think it's time to turn. And when the Lord recognizes that we've turned, then God can do the miraculous. Would you stand across this house with me today? We've got an obligation. If you're a born-again child of God, you have an obligation that when the Lord calls, we've got to turn because he's come into this place to meet us with great expectation and he wants to do something in our midst, but what he's asking for, what he's pleading, what he's pleading for today is for a people that will turn. We can't just stand back and feel the heat and feel the flame. I know it feels good in that comfortable zone, but that's not what God is after. God is after a people that will turn with him. Can we lift our hands and thank the Lord today for this blood that we've talked about, Father? Thank you, Jesus for what I feel in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. 
For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.